So the lesson right now is that my mom is still there. She's still at Crawford Manor. She is being well cared for. She will be going eventually back to Forest Hills when they finish the repairs of the building, which they say will be sometime around February, early February. We'll see. One day at a time. Amen? After a while, you just have to say one day at a time because I'm literally taking it one day at a time. But I, I gave you that story to even lead into today's message. God is in all of the details. All of the details. And you may not have a word to say about it other than praise God. And so that's what we have to take away and that's what we have to remember when we look at the subject I'm referring to today. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your goodness and your kindness. Thank you for the lessons you continue to teach us. Lord, we want to be good students. We want to be in tune to your will, to what your word is. We want to be in tune to you, Lord. We know that we cannot do anything, truly do anything outside of you and outside of you, your will itself. We know we need to be in tune to who you are and your will. Lord, may we pray more and more that your will be done in our lives. And that we can be obedient to your word and to your will as we live our lives. Bless us now, Lord, we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Do you believe there is such a thing as luck? Now, don't answer too quickly. <laughs> Let's think about this for a moment. Do you believe that there is good luck? How about bad luck? Well, since words do mean things, it's good to define them to alleviate any misunderstanding because we have our own idea of what things are. And, you know, when we hear the word luck, sometimes the first thing we think about is like playing the lottery or, or you know, uh, am I going to have a great experience on my job interview? Is it going to be a lucky break for me? Whatever it is. And we use this terminology all the time. It's infused within our culture. But let's define luck. Merriam-Webster has definitions for luck as a noun. A force that brings good fortune or adversity. As in, luck was a big factor in the outcome. Another definition is the events or circumstances that operate for or against an individual. As in, the loser muttered something about bad luck. And that's how we equate things sometimes, isn't it? Winning and losing. We equate sometimes to good luck or bad luck. So what do we know about luck thus far? What we do know, even as we're processing this definition that we've just heard, if it's real or not, we do know that we have no control over outcomes. That's why I mentioned what I mentioned earlier. We have no control over an outcome. Whether they're good or whether they're bad, no control. We commonly refer to these situations as good luck and bad luck. 
And in our flesh, we want to believe that we can even move the needle of luck in our favor by doing a little extra work or putting in the effort. Because the way we're motivated sometimes, more often than not, it's all about the money. Trying to get an edge in Las Vegas. Trying to win money because you can count cards or something. That's the way we think. In the realm of game shows, there's a person that became famous for his accomplishment on a daytime television game show. Michael Larson was, by all accounts in his life, an underachiever. He went to college and never finished, and he didn't seem to have much of a drive to do anything outside of taking care of himself. He did get certification to repair air conditioners, and during summers he drove an ice cream truck. But he did dream of getting rich, and getting rich in a hurry. He saw that there were a number of people on game shows who won cash and prizes, and he decided to make it a personal hobby to study game shows in order to see how he could make some money. He got a number of televisions and VCRs and set them up in his living room so that when he was at home, he could record and watch all the daytime game shows to see if there was a way he could gain an edge. And if he ever went on a game show, after a few weeks of him looking and studying these recorded shows and VCRs, he settled on one game show that was relatively new. It began in September 1983, but it also paid out a lot of money very quickly. You're probably looking at it right now. He studied, ironically, the game show called Press Your Luck. That's the name of the game show. The concept of the game was simple. There was a big board with lights and panels that revealed various items of cash and prizes, but there was also the whammy, which closely resembled a cartoonish version of the devil. If you landed on a whammy, it would take away any prizes you had won at that point. What Larson discovered after days of watching the tapings of this show was that the big board was operated by a randomizer and the lights on the board followed at that time a simplistic pattern. He also discovered the specific panel that randomized the large dollar amounts. They never contained that whammy. Larson managed to memorize the board's light pattern, for it was always the exact same order. Always. He knew that with this edge, he could literally press his luck and come out on top, but not just win the game, but win big money. In May of 1984, Larson spent most of his life savings to fly to Los Angeles for an audition to get on Pressure Luck. Now, Larson's persona was a little creepy to the screeners. And, yeah, he just was a creepy-looking guy. And they were inclined not to allow him to get on the show. But, interestingly, the show's executive producer, Bill Carruthers, viewed Larson as a sympathetic person who needed a chance to win some money. By the way, he would later regret that decision. Larson was added as a contestant. He proceeded to win, listen to this, $110,237. Now, that's today's equivalent 
for one show, one program, two episodes, by the way, because it ran long, had to take two 30-minute episodes to show this one show. The equivalent today of $287,000. That's how much money he won in one day. At the time, it was the largest one-game total ever won on a game show. Of that $110,000, he pocketed $104,000 in cash. A person might call Mr. Larson very lucky. Not long after his return home, he got a job as an assistant manager at Walmart, and he was something of a local celebrity. His taste of good fortune only seemed to fuel his greed. Within two years of winning this money, Larson wound up losing all of it on a number of failed schemes, a failed marketing company that he ran from his house, and bad real estate investments. He was robbed for about half of his money. He had in his house $50,000 in singles. He fled from Ohio to Florida to stay ahead of the IRS and law enforcement due to his role in an internet fraud scheme. Larson died of throat cancer in 1999 at the age of 49. Was Michael Larson lucky? After hearing his story, you might say yes, but only for a moment. His legacy is that he managed to beat the system, but his winnings in perspective were gone as quickly as they came. Our lesson here is that there are also eternal consequences that come into play. Turn your Bibles and electronic devices to Mark chapter 8. I bet you were waiting for me to say that all day, weren't you? Mark chapter 8. Let's look at verses 34 through 37. Verse 34, Mark chapter 8. This is the New Living Translation. Then, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he, being Jesus, said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your, own, take up your cross, and follow me. Verse 35. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Verse 36, and here's where I'm getting at. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? That's a great question, isn't it? But for people like Michael Larson, it wasn't very obvious. Luck is very much a real thing from a worldly perspective. Worldly perspective. If you haven't already figured it out, luck doesn't lead to anything that lasts. It doesn't. It doesn't lead to anything that lasts. 
I challenge you to consider that God does not have anything to do with luck. Nothing to do with luck. Then we're going to look at some scriptures to support that. It's mentioned, but it doesn't mean he has anything to do with it. When it comes to our own personal experiences, I want you to always consider the brief phrase, God allows, period. God allows. And he does. He allows a number of things. He allows things to happen to us for a number of reasons. But the most important one is that he wants us to draw closer to him in both good times and bad. He doesn't want a fair weather follower. You know how there are some fans in sports that jump on and off bandwagons based upon how popular a team is at the time? Well, that's just silly. It's easy to root for somebody who wins. But what about when you lose? God speaks to us in both good times and bad. It's not about good luck or bad luck because he doesn't subscribe to those things. His ways are certainly mysterious, but he allows these things to happen to do what? Reveal to us his nature. He reveals to us his nature when things are good that are happening and when things are not so good that are happening. What is his nature? Let's discuss. First of all, number one, God is love. God is love. Amen? God is love. That's a great place to start. He loves us and his nature is reflected in his will. His nature is reflected in his will. And it is always best for us if we conform to his will. Amen? Is there any place to be outside of God's will? No. But he reflects his love for us even through the actions of his own will. Number two, God is omniscient which, of course, means God is all-knowing. All-knowing. His guidance and his direction is always right for us. Let me ask you something. If God is all-knowing, where does luck come into play? It doesn't. If he's all-knowing, he knows about the outcomes. We have no control of them, but he has control over those. He's all-knowing. And what we have to settle in on when we look at something like this is that his guidance, his direction is always right for us. Because he loves us. Number three, God is omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. He can accomplish anything. Amen? He can accomplish anything. Amen? Amen. And he can enable you enable you to accomplish his will through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is God's nature. 
he's true to himself. Each of these traits of his nature operate outside of luck. Amen? God demonstrates his nature in that he is in complete control and authority over your life. Do you realize that? He's in complete control and authority over your life. It's easy for me to say that because we know that we have a certain number of days. He certainly knows when we would be born. He knew before we were born when we would be born. And he knows how long we're going to live. He's in complete control of it. He allows things to happen, but he enables us to be able to deal with these things, both good and bad, as they happen. Have you had to pray for strength from the Lord when something really bad happened? Amen. If you didn't, you're not human. When life seems to really suck sometimes, and sometimes it does suck, that's the moment when you're praying for answers, help, clarity. God has to give that to you to help you to at least process it. You may not understand it, but he gives you what you need to get through it. That's his nature. That's what he wants to do for all of us. Sometimes we're just slow in calling on him when we need that help. God enables us to reflect his power and presence in our life before others. He gives us the desire to look at him. The desire to look at him. He has to prompt us, give us what we need to say, I need need the Lord right now. And he helps you to make the declaration you want to be obedient to him and follow his will for your life. But you have to decide. You have to decide that. Some of us don't seem to understand that God does not have a favorite football team or a favorite rooting interest. Now, for those of you, you already know that God wants the Browns to lose every year, so... Just so you're aware of that, you shouldn't even be following him anyway. Sorry about that. But not really. Um, While you and I might have a favorite team, God does not. Sorry to reveal it to you. God doesn't have a favorite team. We get all caught up in wearing the colors of a team. Man, we want them to win. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Just so you know, when you're praying, God, help us win. God's going to say, okay, whatever. He has no rooting interest in a team. In fact, he doesn't play favorites. You know where I'm going with this? God doesn't play favorites. He does, however, acknowledge those who follow him, trust in him, and believe in him. One of the great things I've been hearing and listening to when Georgia, the Georgia Bulldogs, won the national championship, a lot of those players on the team said, I want to thank God for being here. Not for the rooting interest, but for being here. I like that. Because that's putting him first before you answer any other questions. Let's look at what the Word says about how he doesn't play favorites. Acts chapter 10. 
Go to Acts chapter 10, verses 34. We're going to read verses 34 through 36. Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 36. And Peter had to see this himself based upon prophetic messages, the encounter with the centurion. Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Let me read verse 35 again. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Do what is right. Those who revere the Lord, those who worship the Lord, those who respect the Lord and his word and does what's right. Here's another example. Romans chapter 2. Please go to Romans 2. We just turn right over to Romans from Acts. Romans chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Romans 2, verses 9 through 11. Verse 9. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. Now, if it's not clear, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. If you're not a Gentile, you're a Jew. That covers the whole population. That covers everyone. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. For the Jew first, because they had the knowledge of the word, and also the Gentile. Verse 10, but there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good. For the Jew first, and also for the Gentile. And in verse 11, for God does not show favoritism. We're all equal in God's eyes. From those who hold the highest offices to those who do the most normal, everyday things. And those who serve others. Those who work in assisted living facilities as nurses. Those who clean the toilets, the bathrooms. All equal in God's eyes. When you're preparing something like this, it makes you think a great deal about people around you who honestly love their jobs. Because how can you love doing something like cleaning toilets or even caring for people who are profoundly ill every single day? It gives you a greater sensitivity as you live knowing that Lord, I don't know if I could do what these people do. 
but God enables everyone in their roles and what they do to be able to perform and do it well. Do it well. And God doesn't show favoritism. He holds those individuals up just as high because they believe in him and trust in him as the president, if that person believes in Jesus Christ as well. Let's go a little deeper into God's nature by looking at verses within Psalm 139. We're going to see how luck is not a factor when it comes to what? Our very own existence. Our very own existence. You are not a lucky break. You are not happenstance. You're here because God wants you to be here. God's love for us begins with his presence and continues within the building of a relationship with him. You're not just here to take up space. You're here to build a relationship with the Lord. And that's a daily occurrence. It continues to build and grow through good times and bad times. We were not products of luck when he created us. We were a product of his will and his purpose for us. Do you know that? You're here because of his will. You're here because he has a purpose for you and your life. And yes, if you're 99 years old, you still have a purpose. Amen? I thought of Miss Laura when I said 99 years old. Miss Laura's older than that. (laughs) But she still has a purpose. Go to Psalm 139, verse 13. We're going to read through verses 13 through 16. And sometimes we have to see scriptures like this to really understand. Why we're here. What we're doing. We need to see that we are not just roll the dice and we're here. We are planned. Look at verse 13. We're going to read through to verse 16, but let's look at verse 13. New Living Translation again. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Verse 15. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life, was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. That's not just beautiful poetry. That's about who you are. That's about how you were made by God to come into existence in this world. Because we all came through the same way, through a mother's womb, knit together, DNA in place, Ready for action. Well, at least nine months later. 
Amen. That doesn't sound like luck to me. You're here because God loves you and he wants you to be here. God knows all about you. Go back to the top of Psalm 139. Let's look at verse 1. Psalm 139, verse 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. Verse 1. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. Now that should give some of us pause. The Lord knows everything about you. You think you got some secrets? You don't. That's a stark reminder. Verse 2, you know when I sit down or stand up. Lord, how can you know when I'm going getting ready to sit down or stand up? I've sat and I've stood and sat down several times this morning. The Lord knows everything about you. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. Oh boy. You know my thoughts. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. The Lord goes on vacation with you too. Amen? You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too great for me to understand. You realize the Lord knows what you're going to do before you do it? Yikes. Watch what you do. Watch what you say. God goes before you in every aspect of your life to the finest of details. He enables you to follow a course and a path that you have already determined. You can make plans and you can do things, but you don't do them in arrogance because I'm special. You do them because you want to follow the path the Lord is giving to you. He has to give you that desire, by the way, to want to do that. He has to give you the desire to say, Lord, I want to follow the path you give me. We don't need a bunch of Jonas around talking about, I'm going to go over here instead of going over here like the Lord directs. There's enough of that out there. Amen? In spite of what happens as we go through our life experiences, we are already blessed because of the relationship we have with Jesus. We're already blessed because we have that relationship with Jesus. When we utter the words, my life is in your hands, you're speaking truth. You're declaring truth because our lives are in his hands, metaphorically speaking. God's nature also helps us to be sensitive to his will for our life. Rather than relying upon lucky breaks or trying to game the system in our favor, our prayer life should be the first go-to item as we move forward. Prayer is always, should be always in front of us in everything that we do, from the smallest things to the largest things. You know, we talk about praying sometimes for large purchases, and that's great. We should be doing that. 
we need to be praying for small things too. Things that seem insignificant. But you just read or just heard in God's word, everything matters if it matters to you. And that's the way he sees you too. The Holy Spirit's going to help you identify and discard, discard, discard those things that are fleshly. And draw upon his will and purpose as you rely upon him. The greatest challenge that we have as a people is relying on Jesus. Relying on him in all things. There are many times we make decisions where we are not relying upon Jesus. Amen? I knew y'all were awake. I was just checking. But we make a lot of decisions sometimes where Jesus is not in the picture. And sometimes we pay for that. Aren't you glad you have a loving, forgiving God that you serve? The Holy Spirit helps you to draw upon his will and purpose and relying upon him. He just wants you to ask him. He just wants you to ask him for some help. Ask him. Open your mouth and pray about it. Ask him. That's all he wants you to do. A relationship means you have two interacting together. He wants you to ask him. Drop down to verses in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. He wants you to ask him. He wants you to speak to him. He wants you to develop your prayer life. It says all day long we should be praying. Amen? Amen? All day long we should be praying. He wants you to ask him. Verse 23, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. You have to give of yourself. Asking the Lord to help you to deal with your life, the sin in your life, repenting of that sin, and moving forward and him giving you the desire to follow him. You're not going to be perfect, but you should be prayerful. You won't be perfect, but you're praying to an all-powerful God who can do amazing, wonderful things. There's no need to rely upon luck when you have Jesus as your life companion. Amen? He loves you. He knows all about you, and if you believe in him, he has complete control over your destiny, leading to eternal life. He shows his love for us because he provided a Savior for us. I made a statement earlier in Sunday school that Every message should have some component of the gospel of truth. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that's what God has done for you? 
I think it's important for us to understand. I think Pastor Gus mentioned this. About half of the folks that go to church may not know Jesus. Now, some churches, depending upon their size, a good majority of them will know Jesus, but that's not 100%. Don't ever get tired of speaking the gospel. That's where it starts. All of our outcomes may not be what we want. Amen. There's a lot of times we don't get the outcome we want. But knowing that he loves us, knowing that he loves us makes all the difference. Even when we don't get the outcomes that we want, knowing that he's with us, he's there with us, he loves us, does make a difference. It helps. His love for us compels us to love others as well. That's a natural, it should be a natural thing for you, a lover of God, to also share that love with other people. It should not just stop with you. He desires for us to have a relationship with him. That's his will for us. And as we serve him, we are living out his will before others. In order for you to go into all the world and preach the gospel, guess what you have to do? Recognize the love he has for you and that he loves others as well too and you share it. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. Let's look at 1 John 4 verse 19. 1 John 4 verse 19. And you have to understand that this is essentially a verse that says exactly what I just said in a mere seven words. 1 John 4 verse 19. This is the English Standard Version I'm going to be reading. If you're there, 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Amen. Make that a memory verse. Amen. We love because he first loved us. He loved us before we knew what love was. Turn back now to John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. John 13, verses 34 and 35. And these are the words of Jesus as well, speaking. John 13, verses 34 and 35. Verse 34, this is also the English Standard Version. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Stop there for a second. How easy it is for us to love one another. Now notice how he made it a commandment. Basically, I demand that you love other people. (laughs) Because not everybody is lovable. Amen? Amen? Not everyone is lovable, but he's giving us a commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Here's a fact that you need to remember too. 
you weren't so lovable either. But Jesus loves you anyway. We always look at other folks, other folks, other folks, so-and-so, so-and-so. Look at yourself. Have you been the lovable, huggable person your entire life? But God loved you anyway. Verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's so rare to see love sometimes in some places. But you have that look in your eye if you know the Lord and the Spirit's working through you, people will see where your love comes from. But the commandment is love one another. And I'll just throw in the statement, whether you like them or not. Amen? Whether you like them or not. Because love has nothing to do with liking someone. Amen? Love has nothing to do with liking someone. Love has to do with showing the goodness of God in your life. I mean, hey, everybody you talk to, not everybody you talk to is saved. Amen? Show the love of God in your life. Remember that God allows these things to happen in your life. While some of them are unexplainable, all of them are purposeful. That's the last thing you want to hear, right? Good stuff, bad stuff happening to you. Some of them are unexplainable, but all of them have a purpose. Oh, my. But they do all have a purpose. We serve a very purposeful God. The very nature of saying about his will involves what? A purpose. It's a purpose. Your life has purpose. And it's up to you to seek God and gain wisdom and knowledge of him as you learn more about who you are in him. That's your responsibility. And guess what? If you accept that responsibility or don't accept it, it doesn't change his will. And it doesn't change his purpose. He's going to do what he needs to do. So whether you're on board or not is irrelevant. Now, if you're smart, you're on board with it. Amen? God allows, but most importantly, God is love. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. You can't go wrong when you believe and trust in Jesus. You can't go wrong. He loves you and wants you to share your life with him. Let's close with Joshua 1.5. Go to Joshua 1, verse 5. Joshua 1. Verse 5. Joshua was taking over for Moses. And as anybody would be following a patriarch like Moses, that's very, very intimidating. That's a very imposing situation. 
But many times, God even recognized that Joshua was scuffling with that. Just like you might scuffle with stuff that comes up. But look what it says. Joshua 1, verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. I will not leave you or forsake you. God loves you, all-knowing, all-powerful. He's there for you in good times and bad. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Father, we are just so thankful that you share with us in all frankness how much you love us, how much you care about who we are, how much you indeed relish the relationship that we have with you. Lord, you are worthy of our praise because of how much you have done before us, before we even recognize all the goodness of yourself. But we thank you, Lord, that you indeed know every person in this room down to the most intimate details. Nothing gets past you. Nothing surprises you. Lord, we just want to please you and we want to praise you and thank you for who you are. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us so that we may have eternal life. And Lord, we pray right now for those individuals who, within the sound of my voice, who do not know you, that they indeed recognize that without you, Lord, we would not have access to eternal life. Without your work on the cross, the shedding of your blood to take away our sins by overcoming death and rising again, Lord, we are thankful that you have indeed taken care of our very souls. Our lives indeed are in your hands when we recognize your goodness and what you've done. Lord, for those who do not know you, may they come to know you right now. May they pray the prayer necessary to acknowledge that you are Lord of their lives. May they see that they don't need to continue going down the path of looking for lucky breaks or trying to game the system. May they recognize that you indeed, Lord, are far above all of those things. Bless us, Lord, as we move forward. Help us to remain prayerful. Help us to remain focused on you in all that we do. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Make this world a better place If you can reach out